Hello and welcome to the Victory Bell, the podcast. I am your host, Paul Oren, the founder and editor of thevictorybell.com, a website and newsletter dedicated to Valparaiso University Athletics, subscription-based site, $5 a month, $49.99 for the entire year, gets you all of the content from the Victory Bell emailed right to your inbox, been doing stories left and right, I've barely slept in the last week, Uh, let's just jump right into it, right? Matt Loddick, removed, fired, dismissed, change in leadership, however you want to word it, out the door about a week ago, just over a week ago. Final four going on this weekend. We've got a special guest coming up in a little bit, Florida Atlantic University men's basketball play-by-play announcer Ken Levicka, who is a 2006 grad of Valparaiso University, is going to hop on to talk about FAU's run, talk about his time at Valpo, the journey that he had working at WVUR, uh, working with Todd Eichau, the voice of Valparaiso Athletics. That's going to be a great interview coming up in a little bit. He's out there at the Final Four. Charles Small is out at the Final Four right now. Taking a bunch of meetings from what we understand. Details are sketchy. Uh, I've, I've written half a dozen stories in the last week about this. It started with a a what's next for Valpo story, which that set a record as the most uh, most page views on the victorybell.com in a single day. And then from there, we started looking at uh, a kind of a two-part decision and hiring process of Charles Small. I did a half-hour interview with him last Friday in which he went through kind of everything. We looked at the decision. We looked at the hire. And then, really, you know, can a familiar face say Valpo basketball set the record at the Victory Bell for the most kind of interacted with story? It's the most popular story we've ever done at thevictorybell.com. So, uh, look, it looks like I've been cranking out stories. Maybe I was well positioned to handle this. Truth is, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I I thought they might move on from Matt Loddick right when the season ended. When a couple of weeks passed, I was certain they weren't going to move on from him. Matter of fact, I'd had some text message conversations with some friends of mine earlier that day, last Thursday, and you know, I I, I lamented my frustration at the university not putting out a statement of, um, I don't know. Uh, confidence, a vote of confidence for Matt Loddick. I was because I just thought you can't go into the offseason without that. Um and and I was kind of told, hey, you know, from friends of mine said, hey, like they're not gonna say anything. They don't have to. He's under contract, just he's gonna be the coach. And a couple hours later, the whole thing changed. So you know we look to the future here. Valpo again has got to make a hire uh, I've made my feelings known on this. And look, it's, I think it's it's a two-way street. I do think that a guy like Jake Diebler or a guy like Roger Powell or a guy like Greg Tonegal would be a great fit at Valpo because they know Valpo and they understand what Valpo is. And again, I would tell you, if you haven't yet, if, 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 you, if you listen to this podcast and you don't subscribe to the website, Maybe it's a financial thing or whatever, but I would tell you that can a familiar face say Valparaiso basketball? I, I've gotten more feedback on that story than almost any other one that I've done, and, and people have, have enjoyed it. And, you know, kind of my thoughts spelling out what I think about Valpo and what I think it is, what I think it, it can be. And, and I think it might take someone who's familiar to Valpo to really be the one to get this thing going. Now, that's not to say that it's the end of the world if they don't bring in Jake Diebler or Roger Powell or Greg Tonegal. 
more a Jared Nunez who Jared and I have talked and, and he's very comfortable at Baylor right now. He's just his first full year as a as a on-court assistant this past year, and he wants to keep that thing rolling. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some other names out there as well with Valpo Connections. One guy that I never even brought up, never even thought to bring up, was Emmanuel Dildy. And, uh, you know, I don't know how that slipped, slipped through my radar. Emmanuel Dildy only spent one year at Valpo, but he's the guy who brought Javon Freeman Liberty into the fold. And if if, you know, if he had an interest of leaving Oklahoma and becoming a head coach back closer to Chicago, where he's from, a place where he's familiar, maybe that could really be a beneficial hire for Valpo. And then you move away from from Valpo a little bit, and you and you know the Valpo connections, and you look at maybe some other possibilities. Uh, J.R. Blunt was one at Iowa State. I'm fairly certain he has decided to stay at Iowa State and doesn't have any interest in becoming a head coach quite yet at this moment. DeAndre Haynes is an assistant at Marquette. He's from Detroit, grew up in the same area as Charles at the same time. You'd imagine that there's a connection there. I don't know that there is, but you'd imagine that there's some sort of connection there. The city of Detroit, when it comes to elite basketball, is kind of a a small fraternity. And, uh, you know, it's Detroit versus everybody. So Detroit comes together. So that relationship is one that you would look at. Brandon Knight at Rutgers, I think, probably is out of Valpo's price range simply because of the fact that he makes $600,000 as an assistant. Why would you want to go somewhere where I'm certain he would make less? Valpo's not going to go higher than 500 if they even reach 500. I mean, I just can't see that happening. And so that uh, Brandon Knight would be a surprise to me. So that's where we're at there. I've seen a lot of other names that people have thrown out. Would this be a situation where a Tom Crean or a Bruce Weber or a Steve Wojciechowski or somebody who's who's been through the Power Five ringer, is this a job that they would want to come back? I can't imagine that would be a possibility. I, can you think that Tom Crean would want to come back to a, a school like Valpo with NIL and the transfer portal and all the headaches that they have to put up with right now? Now, could he do that? Could he turn this thing around and get one more final Power 5 job? Could he pull a Patino at like an Iona, turn it around quickly, and then get himself the St. John's of the world? Could he do that? Is that a possibility? Okay. So I, 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 I don't think that there's a shot on this planet that a guy like Tom Crean would come to Valpo or that Valpo would even entertain a guy like Tom Crean. I just think the money would not line up. Uh, the headaches that he'd have to put up with, I just don't see it. I'd be... I'll be shocked if that's, I'm not ruling anything out. Like if there's one thing I've learned in the, in the last month, it's you don't rule anything out. Another thing I got I to gotta mention here is Ben Cricky. Normally, and this is just showing you this, the crazy nature of what's been going on. The fact that Ben Cricky entered the transfer portal is almost like an afterthought to everything else that happened. That would normally, in a normal year, that would be the biggest story and it's just kind of like an assumed afterthought. Ben is definitely going into the portal. I don't think there's a chance that Valpo could hire a, anyone that would bring him back to the fold. Uh, maybe, I, I'm fairly certain, I think I'm right in saying this, that had Matt stayed, Ben Cricky would have stayed. 
I've been reading on the Valpo message boards and everything for months this ridiculous notion that if Matt stayed, Ben was was gone because he couldn't wait to leave Matt. Those two were joined at the hip. They're very close. Ben's a very loyal guy. And the second that he found out that Matt Loddick had been let go, Ben was in the transfer portal. The second, right? And now what has happened in in the in the week since is that Ben has been to the circus. He's had power five coaches flying in to Valpo left and right all week long. I I I, I know some of this because uh, my girlfriend had to rent a car from Enterprise and uh, and and heard rumblings of uh, of coaches coming in renting luxury vehicles and things like that. And so there have been people here. Um, I think uh, you know. Nebraska, Iowa, those are two that I think are out there. A um, couple other schools as well. Ben's playing it pretty close to the chest, not saying a whole lot right now. Um, I, that decision will be made. There's NIL stuff going on there as well. Offers that I've heard. I've heard numbers from all over the place, right? Um, I don't know where he's going to end up, but it won't be Valparaiso University. Not a shot. Uh, and he doesn't – this is the thing I'll say about Ben – and, uh, and I've really, really come to enjoy Ben. Uh, I just think he's such a fun guy, like a, a unique guy. This guy came to Valpo in the fall of 2019 with the idea that he was going to graduate college in the spring of 2023 and move on with his life. And he gave his four years to Valpo. So anyone out there who thinks that Ben is leaving Valpo or Ben owes something more to Valpo, and I'm not saying I've even heard that from anybody, but... This guy ought to be celebrated, and kudos to him. And I hope he goes and gets a great NIL deal. And more importantly, I hope he goes and gets. I hope he gets to play a on a winning team and be in the NCAA tournament. And C, I hope he gets to challenge himself day in and day out, and get his draft stock up or get his, you know, whether it be like. Uh, you know, EuroLeague or whatever that might be for him. I just hope that the best scenario happens. Because quite frankly, if he was coming back to Valpo, I just don't know what the roster was going to look like next year. And it would be an uphill climb, right? This is as empty as the cupboard has been uh, in, in, in one year, especially now you throw in, uh, as soon as a new coach comes in, who knows what's going to happen? You see Patino sit down at a press conference at St. John's and basically say, all these guys got to go. You see Deion Sanders sit at his press conference in Colorado and say, uh, you know, you guys were 1-11. Your guys are all gone. You know, I don't know that that's the Valpo way. I don't know that's the kind of coach they're going to bring in. But at the same time, that might be the situation, right? You know, so our guys, you know, I just don't know what's going to happen. I think that a lot of the guys are in a wait-and-see mode right now. Uh, Zane Doty, he reopened his commitment right away. You know, I understand about Zane, like the guy committed to play for Matt Loddick and really, you know, Luke Gore. Luke Gore was was the guy that kind of primarily recruited him, I believe. And this is something, again, I think we need to realize that today, basketball players, and you can push against this as much as you want to. And I've talked to people in the last week who don't seem to grasp this concept. They're not committing to the school. They're committing to the coach. That it's the reason why when coaching changes happen, you see people flock to the transfer portal. 
they're committing to the coach. The coach is the person that they're going to interact with the most. So Ben Cricky and Matt Loddick, very close. The second Loddick was gone was the second after Ben Cricky was gone. Not a shock, not a surprise. Be fascinating to see what happens with the rest of the roster going forward. Okay, um, yet, yet my phone's buzzed a bunch of times during this, so I have no idea what that means. And so uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring, I'm going to play Ken's call, courtesy of the Varsity app, Learfield Sports. And then we're going to get into about a half hour discussion with Ken Lavica. It's a really kind of fun talk. I love Ken. Great guy. I think you're going to enjoy this. Uh, you know, we talk about the call that he made. We talk about the, the his journey a little bit. I, I just think this is really good. Um, I actually had a brief conversation the other day with, uh, with uh, President Padilla. I saw him briefly. And, uh, and, and I told him about Ken Levicka and he said, Valpo's everywhere. And, and really it is, you know, you think about this, you know, there's always, always a little bit of a, uh, of a connection out there. So Valpo's basketball team might not be at the final four, but Charles Small certainly is. And Ken Levicka is, I think you'll enjoy this. Catch you when there's an announcement. Take care. Kansas State doesn't have any timeouts. The inbound from Sales. Here comes Noel up the near side left front court. Three seconds now, two. Noel throws a machine. High right. It's stepped away by Davis. He stole it. Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is going to the final four. One of the most improbable stories in college basketball history has just played out in New York City. Houston, you have a problem. Florida Atlantic is coming to town looking for a trophy. What a guest we've got here on the Victory Bell, the podcast. Ken Lavica is here, the voice of Florida Atlantic University, a Valparaiso University graduate, and a guy that kind of changed my life. He's the one who told, hey, call the Northwest Indiana Times. And uh, if, if it wasn't for you, Ken, I don't know what I'd be doing today. So, uh, uh, and what are you doing today? You're hanging out at the Final Four. How about that? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Uh, calling uh, a Final Four game on Saturday night, and uh, FAU is definitely one of the more surprise entrants into this tournament and maybe the history of college basketball, just from a, a, a macro level, not a micro level, because they've certainly had the season all year to to make you think that maybe they were capable of this. But uh, it is it is really wild. And what is funny, though, is that I've, I've been able to reconnect with a number of my, uh, my Valpo friends and people that I was very close with when I was on campus for those four years even as I, I called the games of a, a, another school that I really hadn't heard of uh, while I was going to Valparaiso you know it's interesting Ken you and I both went to Valpo uh, I was four years before you well m- my senior year of college was your senior right. year of high school so we never really overlapped um but did the shot play any kind of role in you being knowledgeable about Valpo at all? And, and, and what do you think this will do for Florida Atlantic? Yeah, the, the shot is the reason I knew of Valpo, without question. And, and this is someone who was raised Lutheran. And I still only really, truly knew of Valpo through Bryce Drew. So uh, I, I think that for FAU, it's going to be something similar. Final four appearances don't just disappear into the ether, especially in South Florida, 
where people really need you to do something unbelievable to, to turn out. They really need to feel like it's worth their time. And the way that even with Miami in the final four right now, and that's a campus with no traffic, which never happens, but with no traffic is 40 miles away and 45 to 50 minutes away. FAU has has transfixed Palm Beach County, Broward County, Miami-Dade, the entire South Florida region. So it's only going to, to see enrollment rates skyrocket, interest skyrocket. It's what happened when Lane Kiffin was the head coach at FAU from a football perspective, but it's going to be tenfold. This is this what's happening right now is, is the biggest thing that's ever happened to Florida Atlantic as an institution. I want to get into your background for a little bit. I, I, many people know a longtime friend of the Victory Bell, the podcast, Adam Amin. You guys went to high school together. You were a couple of years older than Adam, I think. Uh, stars on the volleyball team, right? At Addison, yeah, Addison, yeah. Addison Trail, was that the name of it? Yeah, Addison Trail in suburban Chicago. And my my mom was actually his uh, his preschool teacher. And then uh, we played volleyball together uh, at Addison Trail. And I, I am the one who initially uh, sort of started pushing them towards, towards Valpo. We uh, were in drama together as well. Not drama club, but we were in plays and, and musicals and all that in high school. And so I knew that he had an interest in broadcasting. I got to Valpo and was immediately able to get into the mix with uh, broadcasting volleyball and being a part of WVUR. And I kept telling him, hey, this might be a better option than going to Illinois. This might be a better option than seeking out Northwestern. You're going to get reps right away. And sure enough, he, he took advantage too of when the Horizon League was really starting to get into the, the, the TV realm and it got his reps. And so uh, I wasn't, I, I'm not responsible for Adam Amin, but I like to think that I played a part in getting him to Valpo and maximizing his experience and being one of the, the banner alums uh, of the school for sure. And if not, I'll still take credit for it. Yeah, you can you should take credit for it matter of fact i remember ken you might not remember this uh uh i think we were at pizza hut the day that the the valpo announced they were going to the horizon league and we were kind of like uh i think there was a group of us that knew an announcement was coming we didn't know what it was we ended up over at pizza hut and um and then that announcement came you were also the guy by the way that turned me on to the smash bowl at kfc that was a big uh <laughs> yes. big thing that came out around that time i want to say on the on the the Adam Amin front, you know what he's never done? He's never called Call a Final Four game four. before. Yeah. Yeah. You got no, him on that one. But, but that's what's that's what's great though, is that I I am so endlessly proud of that man. And I'm so proud of everybody who's come out of WVUR. I, I'm a very competitive person, but I'm not competitive with the people that I know have my back. And what I'll say, the reason I, I'm bringing that up is that I will put Velpo grads um, coming out of that communications department, especially out of WVUR up against Syracuse, Mizzou, Northwestern, I don't care. We're just as good. We're collectively just as good. This goes for TV as well as anybody. I think Adam proves it. I think I prove it. I think there are, are three, four handfuls of, of Valpo alums that prove that. I'm so proud of Adam, what he did at ESPN, what he's done with Fox, what he does with the Bulls. One of the first text messages I got after FAU beat Kansas State in the Elite Eight was from him. So we, we all have each other's back, and that's the most beautiful thing.
Eaton Gologly, another Valpo grad, is the play-by-play announcer for Montana State. They yep. made it to the NCAA tournament. It was so it was so fun. Thank you, Varsity app, to be able to uh, to listen to you guys. Um, yeah, I got to ask about this. Obviously, Ken, um, uh, you became part of the story, uh-huh. which you know, as a reporter, you never want to become part of a story. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's kind of fun, right? Like. Obviously, panic for those who are listening that don't know. Uh, 30 seconds left in the game or somewhat, the Ethernet goes out. And look, I, I want to, before we go any further, I got to tell you, I was at the first round in Denver trying to do a fantasy baseball auction draft on Press yeah, yeah. Row. And uh, the Internet's so bad at the NCAA tournament, right? And yeah. so the Internet drops. You, you've got it. There's a, a table behind you with an Ethernet cord. You got you, somebody next to you is holding the Comrex, which we've all broadcast plenty of games. Those things can be finicky if you bump it one time. How panicked were you? And, and, and then once you got it going, how, how were you able to ease back into the broadcast? Yeah, so it, it was 18 and 6, 10 seconds left. And anybody who watched that FAU Kansas State game knows that Mike Four is the only senior on the team, hit four free throws in the final 18 seconds to uh, deliver FAU the win. And he, he, was, he was walking the line for the first two of his four free throws. Uh, the producer back in South Florida texted me that I disconnected. And that's the problem with these pieces of equipment, too. Back when you and I were in college, Paul, it was the J- that JK audio unit, which went off of a, an analog phone line so if you dropped you heard a dial tone you knew that you were in trouble um uh, or you at least heard the sound of a a phone hanging up this you don't know so i got fortunate first of all i saw that or i would have just kept talking into nothing um so i i try to reconnect once twice three times nothing uh i look to see because if you where you plug in that ethernet cable and i'm sitting courtside msg where you plug in that ethernet cable into the side of the comrex it'll have green and yellow flashing lights to indicate that hey yeah we're reading the internet that wasn't happening so the reason this became a thing and the reason i've had my 15 minutes of viral uh national fame is because matt norlander of cbs and andy katz were sitting next to me and so they took in the entire thing i asked matt norlander can i use your ethernet connection that the ncaa provided nothing andy katz can i use your ethernet connection Nothing. So that's when it was panic time. And uh, at MSG, I'm sure something got kicked. I'm sure something maybe malfunctioned. There's no way I'm fixing that or finding the problem because it's MSG. The the Ethernet source is probably under the floor. So I'm not able to do anything. Uh, I asked the producer for the studio number so I could at least get on the air with my cell phone. He didn't know it. That was a big problem. So I, I told him, brother, you got to get it together. Call the PD and let me know. And uh, meanwhile, Kansas is on the other end with a layup and Jerome Tang calls a timeout. And I, I am forever grateful to Jerome yeah. Tang for that because that saved my life. It allowed me to take a deep breath. And it, it occurred to me, you know what? These press rows above me, there's no way the same thing feeding the now dead internet on my row is what's feeding the rest of the rows here in this, this press area. So it occurred to me, maybe I should try the second row. I couldn't reach because there wasn't enough slack on that ethernet. It was taped to the table. So I picked up the equipment, cradled in one arm. By the time I started doing that, I did have the studio number. So I'm talking into the phone, trying to set the scene. I've got the headphones on. I'm ripping at the ethernet cord above me to untape it from the table. Finally, I do. I plug it in and 
and I see the the yellow and green flashing light, and it was a euphoric experience. Uh, <laughs> I went from feeling sick to my stomach because, Paul, I've been doing this 17 years, man. I've been 17 years as the voice of FAU, and now you're at this penultimate moment, and you may not have a chance to actually deliver it to the fans and, for me, selfishly deliver it for myself and uh, luckily then I had a, uh, someone sitting next to me. I, I said, hey, please hold this piece of equipment. I turned around. Got, uh, the producer was able to get me up on the main feed. I got the final two free throws. I called the end of the game. And uh, for me, uh, it, was, it was a total Hail Mary. It worked out. I was off the air for three and a half minutes. But, Paul, I missed 12 seconds of game time. Oh. And that timeout saved me. Well, I mean, thank you, Jerome Tang, for calling the timeout. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and you did a really good job telling that story. It sounds like you might have told that story a few times. Yeah, it's, it, it's like that was the 71st time I told that over the last three days. Yeah. I appreciate that you're telling it to the fans of the Victory <laughs> Bell, the podcast. I got I to gotta think, because if your broadcasting career at WVUR was anything like mine, you were prepared for this, right? I went to yeah. Aurora. I went to Aurora for a football game. And they didn't have a phone line for us. And so I I, I used a, a Nokia stick phone that I used to play Snake on. That's how I broadcast that game, right? Passing it to the color guy back and forth. Did you have any Valpo moments that prepped you for a moment like this? Uh, a ton of them, actually. <laughs> and so we actually had a piece of equipment that we would then hook up to a Nokia cell phone so we didn't have to pass it around in the case we ran into a situation like that. That actually was not entirely uncommon. And when I was at WVUR, and this is before I was the general manager in 2006, this was more like me, PD, 2005. Actually, me, freshman, I remember this specifically 2003 because uh, I I remember the Cubs were in the playoffs against the Marlins, which um, the Steve Barton incident, me as a White Sox fan, the Steve Bartman incident was the greatest sports moment of my life until the White Sox won the World Series. And now FAU going to the Final Four has usurped Bartman and pushed it down to three in uh, in my, my all-time greatest sports moments. But I remember the Buffalo Wild Wings in Valpo. We did a broadcast from there, and that was, uh, we there was an antenna, and it, that this was the early, early, early stages of digital remote broadcasting. And so it was dicey. It was bad. We also had a very rudimentary ISDN uh, set up at my, in my time at Valpo. You didn't have that yet when you were at school. And it was difficult. It was tricky. It, it rarely worked. So trying those things out, trying to get it involved with Todd and everybody with men's basketball, there were a lot of, of miraculous saves that needed to be made, quick switches to the the then dependable JK audio unit. But I'm telling you, Paul, especially with, with, with Valpo baseball, we didn't have a phone line up there. So it was no, always no. the Nokia phone connection, soccer, Nokia phone connection. You better hope that the uh, the cell phone towers are good that day. The signal's flowing good that day. But, but VUR... And I'm not saying this as as disrespectful. It it allowed you to get hands-on experience with technical issues and become versatile and clear-headed and level-headed. And it's a big part of why I think I probably figured that out because I, I more than a lot of people was able to jump into professional broadcasting out of college with a much greater depth of knowledge as far as those things are concerned that I think a lot of young people come out of other institutions. 
So you went to Madison, I think, right out of college yep. or pretty soon after. You did some stuff there. I loved that for you because as a diehard Chicago fan that you are, I loved that you had to go and put <laughs> up with my people in Wisconsin. And then uh, and then you got down to Florida and it's just been it's just been fun to watch. I I love you on Twitter because you're in addition to being a play-by-play announcer for Florida Atlantic, you're a sports talk radio guy. Right. And in this industry, we have to grab a hold of the hottest hot takes and get audience interaction, right? And yeah. so just watching you cover Tua for the last couple of years has been amazing, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Um, but I want to ask, so I know that Howard Schnellenberger, right? Of, is that how you say? The guy, I mean, the guy's yep. an architect of Florida Atlantic and Miami, and now Florida Atlantic and Miami are there. I know that you have a love a little bit for the hurricanes, I think, right? I mean, at least sure. I don't know if love is the right word, but a connection there. A respect, uh, sure. What What is this like? Uh, you know, and I guess I first want to ask, how did you get set up with Florida Atlantic? But also, like, what's this like to know that that Florida, which we don't really think of a hotbed of college basketball, is now the, the really the epicenter of college basketball this weekend? Yeah, so the way I got hooked up with Florida Atlantic was complete happenstance. So I actually, out of college, you remember, Paul, because you were my advisor. You were my advisor in college. I... I had a sports broadcasting major, but a journalism minor. I did a lot of work with the torch, but as you, you talked about at the onset, I did a lot of work with the Northwest Indiana Times. So I left college with a pretty robust uh, journalism uh, uh, compilation that I could use to search for jobs. Actually, the first the first job I actually accepted was as the sports editor and head sports writer at a newspaper in Dickinson, North Dakota. And I never in the path of Ed Schillinger. Yeah. 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 And so I actually never ended up. I, I, I traveled there, saw the town, thought to myself, you know what? I'll be here for a year, but let's get some reps in. They had a D2 football team. I never ended up going because five days before I was supposed to move, I got a call from the uh, Madison Fox sports radio station asking if I wanted that job, which was producer update anchor. Initially minor league play-by-play it turned into show host and a whole bunch of other opportunities. And I said, yeah, I'd rather do that. It was less money but it was something I was more passionate about. And so I told the newspaper, sorry, you're going to have to find someone else. And I went to start my radio career. So then just under a year after that, same company, Good Park Karma Brands, which owns ESPN Milwaukee, ESPN Cleveland, ESPN New York, ESPN LA, ESPN Chicago. They said, hey, want to come down to our West Palm station? I was 23 and single. And I said, uh, yeah, sure, I'd love to. I've never been south of Orlando in my life. So I went down to West Palm and within the first three weeks, the guy who was doing some here and there play-by-play for FAU basketball near the end of 2007 couldn't do a game. Florida Atlantic had reached out to this radio station and, that I was working at and said, hey, uh, do you have anybody who could travel to Arkansas State to call a game? And they said, yeah, we've got this new kid. He has a bunch of play-by-play experience. And they said, great, we'll take him. 
And from that point, 2007, December of 2007, I went to Arkansas State. And from that point, I've been the full-time basketball voice of FAU. A year and a half later, took over the football duties. And now this is year 17 in basketball. So that's how I got the FAU job. And as far as FAU and Miami are concerned, my wife is a Miami alum. Very passionate about the Canes. I have a respect for the Canes because Gator fans are extremely cocky and smug, and Florida State fans are uh, about the same, except they disappear when the uh, the school struggles. I just have an affinity for Canes fans. They're a bit rugged. They're a bit dirty. Uh, they 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 tend to to attract themselves to that team, even though they didn't go to Miami. There's more of a, a South Florida identity with that program, and I like it. It's just kind of it's kind of fun. It's kind of reckless. It's good, but. Uh, I could not care less about Miami basketball. Uh, this is all <laughs> FAU all the time. I'm not conflicted. My wife has a personal connection with the FAU players. She doesn't know these Miami players. So if it comes to a Monday night FAU Miami final, she'll be pleased if the Canes win as alum. But she, I think, personally would like to see FAU win. Florida Atlantic, when you started as a broadcaster, looks like Rex Walters was the coach, former yes. Valpo former Valpo assistant. And then your one of your first full-time years, they went six and 26. I'm oh. sure that was a rough one for you. Mike Jarvis, who had been at St. John's for a long time, he takes over. You get a good 20 win season in the 10, 11 year, but 21 and 11, and then losing, 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 uh -huh. losing, losing up until the 18, 19 year, right over a game over 500. Um, another game. Of, this is when dusty may shows up. Yep. Uh, Article came out yesterday or today, which really has me thinking about Valpo a little bit in their coaching search, where it said that he took the job without looking at the facilities. And the first day he almost quit. And, yeah. you know, Valpo's about to hire a coach here. And if they hire from someone from the outside, they're going to be coming into a place. I mean, the arc, Ken, has not changed since you've been there. I mean, it has, yeah. you know, um, what is it about Dusty that he's been able to come in and turn this thing around. I mean, you called a lot of lean years of Florida Atlantic basketball. This guy comes in. This is now year number five. He goes from 17, 17, kind of a winning season during that COVID shortened year, then jumps up to 19 last year, and then 35 and three this year. That's insane. Yeah. What, yeah. How, what? Tell me about Dusty May and tell me about how this program has gotten to be where it's at right now. It's funny you mentioned the arc not changing since I was last in school, which is 2006. And um, the same can be said of, of FAU's venue. And and I'll say this still too, Paul, the arc is still a better venue than what FAU plays in. It, it, it just is uh, maybe not significantly so, but it is. And, Actually, a former assistant under Mike Jarvis, uh, Matt McCall, who was the head coach at Chattanooga, went to the NCAA tournament with them, five-year head coach at UMass. He's back in South Florida now after he let go by UMass. Uh, he, him and I have spent a lot of time together this past season, and he walked into the FAU arena the first time uh, in, in a decade and said, oh, my God, this place hasn't been touched. And so I, I totally understand how that goes. Uh, Dusty May is... I would, I would, God's honest truth, do anything 
for that man. He is as genuine, as authentic, as real deal as any person I have ever met. He has been the same person from day one when I met him in 2018 to today when I'm sitting at practice as FAU got some reps in at Texas Southern here in Houston. He believes in his guys. He is able to unlock his guys. He's able to maximize his guys. He took over, and Michael Curry, former Pistons head coach, was the head coach prior to Dusty Wood. He took over was brutal great kids brutal basketball but in his first year he beat UCF on the road in Orlando the year that UCF nearly beat Duke to go to the final four he went to Illinois and uh, beat the Illini in his first year and he hasn't had a losing season at Florida Atlantic it's been incremental progress and what he preaches is hey we're going to have a hell of a lot of fun on offense and we're going to move and we're going to share the ball if you want to be a volume score you're probably not for me but if you want to win if you want to get an equal opportunity with the ball but you also like to help create then you're my guy, but you need to come in and you need to defend as well. And so everything's finally come to fruition this year. I did not see 35 wins coming, but there was no doubt that FAU was going to compete for a Conference USA championship. And it turns out Conference USA was the best mid-major league in all of college basketball this year. But he's a Hoosier guy. He comes from south of Bloomington. Uh, student, I mean, the story, you know the story by now. Student manager under Bobby Knight. But uh, he, he has the, the, the Hoosier basketball Midwest sensibilities with a little bit of European flair with an edge, a hard-assness about him that is go defend. Look what they did to Tennessee. Tennessee bloodied and battered Duke and handed concussions in the first five minutes yeah. and really had their way. FAU ground the balls into the floor into the sweet, in the Sweet 16. That's the best way. That game is the best way I can describe Dusty May is that he can coach a team to a 50 to 46 win like they had against defending conference USA champion North Texas in December on the road, or he can put up 88 points like he did beating the conference USA favorite UAB earlier in the year, 88, 86. So uh, he, he lets his players dictate. It's a player led program, but they all buy in and he has a distinct ability to get everybody on board and say, Hey, do you trust me? Follow me, and I'm going to let you dictate this, but just let me guide you a little bit. He is he is as good a guy, and there's a reason that the coaching fraternity loves him because Dusty is Dusty 100% of the time. I want to ask about one of the players in particular, uh, Nellie Davis. Yep. I think you know, call him Nellie. Um, from Gary, Indiana. Every time there's a guy from the region that makes it big, I always think to myself, man, did, did was Valpo in on him? Did is he the guy that got away? Anything like that? And I, I think, I think really from what I understand about his recruiting when it was going on was was getting away from the region was probably the best thing, right? And like, I mean, yeah. who wouldn't want to go to Florida Atlantic? Um, you see him blow up a little bit too. Talk about 15 minutes of fame, right? You know, he's got the good interview. Uh, he's getting, you know, some, some pub there and really some truthful things he's saying, you know, like, look, I'm just trying to provide for my family. I'm just trying to like, you know, mama, like we, we're, we're making it right now. Tell us just a little bit about him and, and just, I, I imagine he's indicative of a lot of these guys on the team. I've seen some tweets, you kind of hyping up a lot of the guys on the team, but tell me a little bit about Davis and, and what he brings to the table. 
Yeah, and and I don't know if Alpha was in on Nelly. If not, that's just a, a, a bad miss. He is someone who had a, a very good high school career in Northwest Indiana. Nelly is as sweet as anybody you're going to meet, but he is also extremely businesslike. Uh, I, I have a special affinity for Nelly, and he knows this, and he knows that he can, can suck up to me, and I'm going to give him compliments because there aren't many FAU players I've ever uh, had here in my 17 years who are from the Chicago land area. And especially with me going to school in Valpo, I have an extra heavy affinity for someone from Gary. And so Nelly is, is an unbelievable human being who is one of the most unicorn basketball players I've ever met because he's not the most athletic by any means. He is not great in the weight room at all. He has a questionable diet at times, but then he gets out onto the floor and his balance, the way he carries himself, his touch around the rim, he gets on the floor and suddenly he is the biggest, baddest body out there. He is an undersized forward. He usually plays more on the wing, but his handle is there. His post moves are there. His footwork is impeccable. His touch around the rim is sensational. He can run in transition. He can hit the three and he's an ace defender. He is a five tool player in every sense of the word even if he looks completely unremarkable off the floor he's a baller through and through he played in a a, a chicago amateur league in the offseason and i think that really really helped him because he can create his own shot he can create for others he's extremely unselfish he is case in point someone that lives breathes ball he's always looked at basketball as the way to create for himself and his family and he's at a point now where he's playing the highest level of his life because he just knows the intricacies some guys make basketball look easy and nelly despite some of his physical limitations makes basketball look easy he has been vexing for opponents not only in this ncaa tournament but for the entire season he scored 36 in that game i mentioned against you be earlier in the year and he came off the bench most of the year he's the sixth man of the year in conference usa what a player what an exceptional person but what a player this dude is no with no without any question i got two more questions for you here and then you got to get some rest at some point so <laughs> um the call you get back on the air and we get houston you have a problem it's amazing i love it does that do you think about that ahead of time? Do you write it down? Do you do you do you listen back to it and think, oh my God, I can't believe I said that? Oh my God, I can't believe I said that. Like, how do you yeah. how do you look at something like that? Because that call is going to be, you know, I think about again Adam Amin with Ngumba Wale for the win. It's good. Yeah. He throws the pen. Like, like you're going to hear this for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had someone tell me at FAU that's going to be etched in something someday. Um I, I I do not like mapping out final calls. I don't like the Westwood one approach of, and X team has done X for the first time since X year. Like, I hate that. It just, it's not good. There's nothing original about it. I, I, I had uh, uh, Aaron Levitt, the, uh, the SID at Valpo. He said, I've been listening to a lot this year. You have a lot of Todd Icow in you. And oh yeah. It, oh yes. It made me think, and I'm like, you know what? I do have a lot of Todd 
icon in, in me. And I, it's clear who I really sort of spent four years listening to. Um, I like to have my personality when I'm doing play by play. I don't want to have a, a generic personality. That's not me. I don't like to be robotic. I don't like to sound cookie cutter and I don't like mapping out final calls. I will say though, that during the course of that day, I had about four or five different ideas just in case, just in case I, I didn't write them down, but I was just thinking about them a little bit and then flushed it. So especially as I'm coming back on the air in the final seconds of this game, I mean, my mind's just blank. I'm just going to wing it, call the game, call what I see. But I think out of my subconscious Houston, you have a problem is the one thing that came out of the, the, the inner workings of my brain. So I just said it now, the whole FAU is coming to town and uh, they're looking for a trophy that I just said it afterwards. It just seemed right. It came out of my mouth. Um, but, but that's sort of how that came about. It was, it was the, the, one of the five things I was thinking of that, that stuck in my brain most in a spot where I'm sort of scrambling and I'm, I'm glad it happened. I don't love, I'll critique myself, but I don't love listening back to myself. And I've been doing this a long time. I should get over it, but I still, I still don't love it, but I, I really, liked how it came out and the it is nothing to do with me like if i like it it's if the fans respond i'm conveying this to them i'm telling the story to them i'm trying to draw emotion out of them and it's been roundly uh, received as as excellent and people yelling it to me on campus uh so that that's the part that makes me feel good is that it it, it definitely made people feel something and i feel like that makes it successful I mean, it's an amazing call. I loved it. It was great. I but they've all been good, right? Like I've been, I've been, you know, I've been texting you throughout the run, the first win, the second win, getting yeah. through to the second weekend, you know. And it's just like this has been a blast. It's been really fun for me to watch because, quite frankly, I had a terrible basketball season and had nothing to cheer <laughs> for. So this was uh, this was quite fun. Uh, I'll end with this because I know you're a diehard baseball guy. To uh, March thirtieth is opening day. Yeah. And it's got to be the furthest thing from your mind, right? Like, are you, uh, I, I mean, uh, do you know Jose Abreu is not on the White Sox anymore? Like, are well, you? Well, get this. So in West Palm, I endorsed the ballpark of the Palm Beaches um, uh, on my, my radio show. And they're the home of the Houston Astros. And so I've spent a whole spring watching Jose Abreu taking bats with the Astros. And it's been nothing but <laughs> sadness for me. So then I come to the final four and guess what? Thursday, the opener for the defending champion Astros and the White Sox are in town. So it is a, a 605 local time pitch here in Houston. And I'm thinking about it, even though it's opening day for the defending champs, there's still some tickets available. I'm thinking about it. Haven't pulled the trigger yet. We'll see how, uh, how tomorrow goes. Uh, the team you're practices. Going. You're, you're I know, going. I know. You I know. I can't go. practice is in the morning. They're at energy stadium in the morning. So I have a weird feeling that I'll end up at minute Maid park at some point tomorrow. I mean, this is just lining up for you. You gotta go, right. Yeah, yeah, you gotta yeah. go. And <laughs> And and then clap like crazy when Abreu, who's on oh, yeah. my fantasy team, who I got him on the fantasy team from the Denver um, 
uh, you got to just, you know, when he goes over four or four strikeouts, you just got to be there, you know, cheering for the whole thing. Hey, that's my man. I don't care. I, and, and honestly, I don't even care if he walks off the white Sox. That man is, is forever in my, my white Sox heart. And this has been one of the most miserable white Sox off seasons I can remember. So I don't feel that bad giving Jose Abreu my opening day love. Ken, thank you so much, man. This has been fun. It's been, it's just been, you know, vicariously living through this whole thing again. Uh, I wish I was in Houston to track down all this Valpo basketball stuff. I wish I was in Houston to buy you a beer this weekend because you deserve one or five, man. It's what a great run you've been on so far. And I, I, I hope that Houston gets their problem on Monday night. Uh, that would be amazing. Paul, I appreciate it. It's awesome to catch up. I hope that uh, that Valpo finds the right guy because I still pay a lot of attention to especially the basketball program. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun if they could get back uh, into, into some postseason contention here. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Paul.